beautiful prayer uh, through that song that um, we would live in such a way that God would be enough. We would stop looking for more. And with that in mind, we're going to move um, into uh, a three-week uh, teaching series of sorts um, on uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. And I've never done this before, and um, I should know better than to say well in advance what it's going to be about because then I'm stuck. Uh, got into it more and more and more this week, and um, I'm excited about it, um, and I hope that you are excited about it, and and here's what why I think uh, this, is, this is a timely thing for us, um, that who God is is maybe the most important thing um, and how we th- think about him and what we think about him and what we know about him and all of that is perhaps the most crucial thing for us. Um, A.W. Tozer said that you know, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, when you think about God, what are the things that, that come to mind, you know, and, and Different people have very different answers, and, and that's a part of what makes our relationships with him very personal. Um, and so when it comes down to it, who, who God is in his, his essence is, um, it's one of those mysteries that we're never really going to fully understand. Scripture teaches us that God is Trinity, and you, know, you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible or anything like that. It's, it's a concept that's taught... Um, and, and that God unfolds throughout the course of Scripture. And Trinity is, just a, is a man-made word that, um, that uh, theologians um, use to try to encapsulate some very important ideas about God. And this is one of those like, unifying things about Christians that, that this is one of the things we agree on. There's a lot of stuff we disagree on, but um, you, you go into to any kind of Christian denomination, and the, the Trinity is something that they're going to believe in and hold to. Um, and so I'm, I'm not trying in the next couple weeks to defend the Trinity. Um, God doesn't need our defense. Um, we're going to talk about the Trinity because the Trinity is about who God is in His essence. And so when we sing songs and we pray our prayers, when we live our lives, and when we, we worship Him through our lifestyle, it's important that, w- that we understand as best we can who it is that we're worshiping and, and responding to. And so we're going to try to tackle this, um, and, and here, here's what's going to happen. Tonight is going to be kind of a, an overview, big picture deal. Um, next week, it, we're going to get into the, the different roles within the Trinity, uh, the role of, of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and um, the things that, that they do together and how they work together and how they work independently and all that kind of stuff. And then the third week, um, third week's going to be awesome. Like the first week is going to be good, I think. The second week is going to be good. But the third week is going to be what some of you long for. And that's, we're going we're gonna to get into like how the Trinity affects, um, and, or actually 
how the Trinity as a doctrine um, separates us from other uh, groups. Um, the, the Trinity is it's, it's one of the, the places where we um, would, if on a Saturday morning, if a group of people wa- walks through your neighborhood and knocks on doors and tries to give you Watchtower magazine, the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, hopefully by the, by the time this is done, uh, you will be able to like drop the Trinity bomb on them and they will understand why um, we're not the same. Um, that that you, we will see, and I'm not trying to pick on the Jehovah's Witnesses, but we will. Um, and, and, and here's why, I'll get to in a second. But not only Jehovah's Witnesses, like we'll talk about how the Trinity and like Mormons, how that puts us at odds in belief there. Um, so we're going to get into some of that stuff. We're going to get into why um, every analogy that you've ever heard to try to explain the Trinity um, falls short. Uh, let me, a quick survey. How many of you have ever had someone try to explain the Trinity to you and they used an egg? Show of hands, anybody? Can't really see. You hear um, people use an egg. They'll use, you know, uh, it's a yolk and there's egg whites and there's a shell and that's, you know, the, the yolk is the father and, you know, whatever. Um, we're going to talk about why that comes up short. Um, sometimes people use a tree, you know, branches, trunk, roots, why that comes up short. Um, sometimes we will, uh, people will, will take a, the different roles that a person plays in the course of their life. You take a, a guy who's a, he's an employee and he's a father and he's a husband, and so he plays different roles. We're talking about why that doesn't work. Um, we might talk about this book, The Shack, a little bit. And um, I don't know how many of you have read it. Um, I'm in the, the process of reading it right now. Um, and so we're going to talk about some things, some positives and some um, red flags from that book um, because there are a lot of people reading it, Christians and non-Christians, and you hear some Christians be like, you know what, I never understood the Trinity until I read the shack. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so what we want to do is we want to look at the doctrine of the Trinity and pick it apart and study it so that whenever any sort of counterfeit comes our way, we're able to spot it. Does that make sense? So it's not about picking on people. But it's about getting to the point where we know, the, we know what we believe so much that when someone sits down with you and they're like, Church of Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints, and what you believe, we're the same thing. We're both Christians. And you'd be like, eh, wrong, we're not. Um, and uh, I'm not trying to get you to pick fights or anything like that, but we, we need to know what, what we believe. So that's what the next couple weeks are going to look like. So let's get right down to it. All right, if you've got a Bible with you, we're gonna, there's going to be so many verses tonight that I'm just going to apologize up front. And here's, here's how it's going to happen. There are three points that I'm going to make, and each point has several passages with it, but I'm only asking you to turn to one per point. How's that? Sound good? All right. If you got a Bible, go to Deuteronomy 6. You don't have to clap, but uh, that's cool. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is going to be home base for our first point. Here's the deal with the Trinity. There's basically uh, three ideas that um, form this doctrine, and these are the things that that these theologians were, were trying to protect um, and trying to, like, they were like, we need a term, we need to better understand what appears to be contradicting in Scripture is not contradicting, and so we need to, to mash this together. And so you can watch through church history to unfold and, um, and come up with this idea of the Trinity. And there, there are three main points. We're just going to go one at a time so we don't get ahead of ourselves. And uh, if you're a note taker, um, I apologize. Um, I would probably suggest that you do more listening than writing tonight. Um, if you're not a note taker, then maybe you should write more than normal. I don't know. Um, and, and, and so here's, here's the deal. Here, here's the, the first point. The first idea about the Trinity 
that, that we want to uh, affirm. Um, the fact that there is one true God. There's one true God. Um, and most, I think most of us would be on board with, with this. And so um, I ask you to turn to, to Deuteronomy 6. Um, look at verses 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The Lord your God is one. In this um, particular verse, uh, what is being affirmed here is the fact that, that He is the one and only God. This is the first part of the Shema. This was, this was the, the foundation for um, discipleship and teaching. And this was, this was something that if you were a Jew, Jewish kid, this is the first thing that you ever memorized. And it was just, I mean, you repeated it all, all the time. And it was just a really big deal. But the fact that the Lord your God is one is talking about the, the supremacy of God, that he is the one and only true God. We're going to flash up a couple more verses. Um, let me make sure I get them in the right order. This is Isaiah 45. Um, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though. Oh, I'm sorry. I equip you. I'm too close to the screen. I have bad eyes. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Okay? That's in Isaiah 45. Um, let's look at this is 21 and 22 from that same chapter. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told, who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Okay? God's kind of making his point. We're moving to the New Testament. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2. Says, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Okay, so Old Testament, New Testament, they affirm it. Here's an awesome one from James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, but you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Okay, um, I just like that verse because I always think about. Remember in Lion King, whenever they would say Mufasa's name and they would all shiver? That's what I always think about in that verse. Um, yeah, all right, there we go. Okay, um, so there's, there's one true God. There's only one true God. That's going to be an important one, and I think a lot of times we think that that's just kind of a given, um, but, but that, you know, if, not to jump ahead too far to a couple of weeks, but Mormons believe that the God that we worship was at one time a man, and he just got his own planet. And so um, affirming that there's only one God is an important thing. And he is one, and he alone is God. In the Old Testament, they, had, they were just surrounded by um, these, these groups who had multiple gods, and, and they had, you know, the sun was a god, and the, every you know, season was a god, and the crops were gods, and the frogs were gods, I mean, you name it. Um, there are all these gods all around them, and one of, my, the, one of the little nuggets of wisdom uh, from seminary that I absolutely loved, and I talk about it a lot, 
is that the, the plagues in Exodus, each one of those plagues were not random, that God was strategically showing his supremacy over the things that were worshipped. Because they worshipped the river, and they worshipped their crops, and they worshipped insects, and they worshipped the sun, and they worshipped the Pharaoh. And, and one by one, God just systematically crushes all of those things. And he is constantly, from the very beginning, driving this message home that there is no God but me. And so when we're talking about who God is, when we are in here and we're singing these songs, we're not singing this song to one God of many. It's, he is absolutely it. And he loves being the only one. And he is all about being the only one. Now, if that were, were all that Scripture said, then I think it, it would be easy. Um, but then it, it gets complicated the more you start to look at things. And that brings us to point number two, uh, which is this. This one God eternally exists in three distinct persons. This one God eternally exists in three distinct persons. All right, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. If you've got a Bible. Matthew chapter 3. But we're going we're gonna to go through some other verses first. We're going to start in Genesis, um, where we can kind of affirm uh, this idea that there are three distinct persons. Um, so this is Genesis ch- chapter 1, verse 26. Says, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish and the birds and all this kind of other stuff. But look at the first part of the verse. Then God said, let us... Make man in our image after our likeness. Okay? Now, there's no schizophrenia here. Um, this is a verse um, at the very beginnings of the Bible that is letting us know there's more going on here than meets the eye. This is a conversation within these three distinct persons of the Trinity. Okay? We'll explain a little bit more about that. Let's look at some more, um, more proof. And, and, and let, me, let me just stop right here. We're going through verses because I want you to... I want us to see that, that you, you don't pull a doctrinal position from one verse in the Bible. If anybody ever, ever tells you um, that, like, you know, whatever, this is true and this verse is why, then you need, you need to, to question that a little bit. We don't look at one verse to determine uh, these foundations of our faith. You look at the entirety of Scripture you, because God has this amazing way over thousands of years uh, and through all these different sources who never met and didn't speak the same language, there's these themes that run all the way through the scriptures. And so you look at the entire, they call it the entire council of, of, of the Bible, and that's where we pull these things from. So that's why I'm going Old Testament, New Testament, um, Jesus, Paul, Peter, just trying to pull different sources. So we see like this was something that God, this was a case that God was building over time. Um, okay, the next one, uh, we jump up to uh, Matthew, I think. It's a great commission. Jesus came and said to them, uh, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. If you go back to verse 19, we see the names of these three persons in, in the Trinity. Um, there's God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
He could have just said, go and then baptize them in my name. And it would have, it would have been awesome. Here again, we see the Lord is one, but yet he's three. Three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, it's, next one is in 2 Corinthians 13. Um, and Paul's letter says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay? Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the Son, the love of God. And uh, most of the time when it just says God, and you've got to get into some language issues or whatever, it's pretty much referring to the Father, uh, part of the Trinity. So there's Jesus, there's the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So again, in his prayer, there's the Trinity, distinct persons again. 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, begins this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Capodice, uh, Asia, and uh, Bithynia. Sorry, I slip into Greek every now and then. No, I'm just kidding. Um, here it is. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with His blood, the grace and peace be multiplied to you. All mentions all of the Trinity in this, this greeting. Okay, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3 in, in just a second. Um, now, if we could go back to this second point, and let me pick it apart just for a second, all right? This one God eternally exists in three distinct persons. All right, let me pull some, some words out of there to kind of pick on them. Um, when it says eternally, the, the three persons of the Trinity have always been. There are some people out there that believe that Jesus was created at some point in history. That started off where there was like just God the Father, and then he made Jesus so that he could come and, to the earth and die and all that kind of stuff. And then when Jesus came back, then they like got together and like made the Spirit and whatever. That's not, that's not the case. You can go back to Genesis 1-1 and start there, and you can see the existence of um, all three persons. So they've eternally been there, okay? From the very beginning and all the way to the end, they're always going to exist. Um, and so <clears throat> that's why it says eternally. Um, when it says persons, this is, this is really important. Three distinct persons. Um, now, this is not persons like humans, okay? Um, we use the word persons because um, God is... He's not an it. He's a he. Um, and I don't mean like he's like a male, you know, but, I mean, it's God the Father. When he uh, became, uh, took on human form, he chose a man. And so don't get too, like, you know, anatomically picky about me or whatever. I'm just saying, like, he, it's a he. It's not an it. It's a, he's, he's personal. It's not impersonal. Um, God, uh, in, in each of these persons, they, they speak they feel, they think, they have wills, they act. I mean, they, there's, there's personhood there um, for, for each of them. Um, Mark Driscoll says it like this. He says, he says, God is a personal being, not an impersonal force. And there are some out there who, who don't believe that God is personal. They don't believe that he thinks and feels and all this kind of it's They treat God like he's a, like he's a force. You know, so the wind blows, and they're like, there's God. You know, it's like, no, he's not a force. He's a person. He's actually three persons, but he's one. But he's three. But he's one. 
He's personal. He thinks, he feels, he acts. And so, so that's why we say persons. And so let's def- definitely differentiate between, per, uh, you know, the person of God and the, like, humans. All right? Let's not try and do that except for the fact that Jesus took on human form. Cover that next week. Um, we'll get to that. The last word I want to pick on in our uh, point here is distinct. And here's, like, here's, for a lot of us, is, is the struggle. There's a distinction between um, each person of the Trinity. Um, and so while God is one, he's unified, there's distinction between each of them. Okay? And, and here's, here's a simple way of saying it. Um, the Father is God. The Father is not Jesus, the Son. And the Father is not the Spirit. So Jesus is God. Jesus is not the Father, and Jesus is not the Spirit. The Spirit is God, but he's not the the Father, and he's not the Son. So the things about God apply to all of them, but there's a distinction with each of them. They each have their own their own personalities. They each they they act and, and they and they, and they think and they work very uniquely. And that uniqueness is seen in how they function with each within the Trinity with one another. Um, and we're going to get into some of that next week. But how how the, the Father is is the one who sins, you know, and he's like kind of has like like he's the the sending agent, and the Son submits to the will of the Father. And then the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. And so the Spirit submits to the, to the other two. But that's how they work. Um, that's how they, they function together. There's a distinctness there. And so it's very important to, to recognize that they are not the same, but they are one. Unity and distinction at the same time. Okay, we're going to come back to this in, in, in a few minutes. Um, and so there's different personalities. There's different roles. And there's different relationships among them, okay? Now, I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 3, and this is a great, great, great picture of of what I'm talking about. Um, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized. And uh, we see all three persons of the Trinity involved in Jesus' baptism. Okay, look at verse 13, chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. Okay, here we go. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God okay, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Okay? Awesome picture. Jesus comes up out of the water. So there's Jesus. Spirit, in the form of a dove, comes and either like lands on his shoulder or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't really understand how that works. But anyway, there's the Spirit, and then the Father speaks from heaven. Distinction. There's the Father showing his approval. There's the Son being obedient. And there's the Spirit coming and like empowering what's going on. That's the distinction that goes on within each person. They are not the same, but they are one. Okay? So that's the second point of the Trinity. That each one, this one God eternally exists, 
in three distinct persons. Okay? Now, if it was just point one, everybody would be okay. You had point two in, and we can, we can roll with that a little bit, okay? But point three is, the, is what makes the, the Trinity like this, like really, like, unbelievable thing. Okay, here's point number three. Each person is fully and equally God. Each person, each distinct person of the Trinity is fully and equally God. All right? Let me get you to turn um, to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Quickly look at, at scriptures that support that each member of the Trinity is God. Now, um, obviously, uh, we could throw out a lot of verses. I just didn't want to like overwhelm you or whatever. So you just need to trust me. And if you want proof, uh, I'll give you plenty of verses to back up each of these three. I'll give you one verse for each person of the Trinity. Uh, so you see what we're talking about. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay? God the Father. This is by far the most accepted part of this third point. Um, this is not something people disagree with. God the Father, he's fully divine, fully God. Um, that, this is not a problem for most people. Um, and uh, as far as like in discussions about Christianity, they're on board with that. Um, so the deity of the Father, him being fully God, that's totally fine. It's when you get into Jesus and you get into the Spirit, that's when people don't like it too much. If you flip back one chapter to chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, um, 8 and 9, this is talking about Christ. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the element, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay, And we'll get some more into this next week. Jesus eternally existed and um, left heaven and came to earth and took on the form of a man. As a man, he was fully God. Lots of questions come up about did he lay aside his you know, deity? Was he, um, you know, did he really not know what was coming? You know, there's all kinds of questions. We'll get into some of that next time. But according to Scripture, and this is not the only one, the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus as a man. So he was completely human, but he was completely God. Now, this going back to the point, they were all they were fully and equally God. Okay, so Jesus and the Father, same amount of God, equal stuff. Okay. Now, this is this is one of those places where we part with. Well, we parted away before this maybe, but here's one of the this is one of the points of contention with Jehovah's Witnesses with Mormons, um, that, that kind of stuff. And so this is like a very important thing. The deity of, of Christ is a big deal. But for our discussion tonight, let's just stay focused on the fact that all three persons of the Trinity, fully and, and equally God. Um, let me uh, read you this in Acts chapter 5, 
you get into the spirit. A lot of people don't think that the Holy Spirit is fully God. Some even, you know, like they'll accept Jesus being God, but they're like, yeah, but not the spirit. That's too weird. Um, Acts 5, verse 1, says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, now they had made a vow that they were going to give it all, but then they decided to keep some for themselves. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Okay, so he's like, why'd you lie to the Holy Spirit? Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Here it is. You have not lied to men, but to God. A couple verses earlier, you say you lied to the Holy Spirit. Here he says you lied to God. This is one of those verses where we understand that Holy Spirit, God, same. Okay? Now, back up a little bit. Make sure you're on the same page. Each member of the Trinity, all three of them, fully and equally God, okay? And here's, here's why that's important. Everything that we say about God is true of, of each of them. They are each, um, they're each all-knowing, they're each all-powerful, they're each uh, full of justice, they are each full of love, they are each holy, they are everything that we think about God applies to each member of the Trinity, fully and equally. Now, there is no, like, first, second, third place within the Trinity. So it's one thing to talk about them all being fully God. We can say, okay, yeah, the Father, fully God. Same thing for Jesus, same thing for the Holy Spirit. Everything you say about God, you say about all of them, equal applies, all right, whatever. Um, but fully being God, but then there's the equally part. And that's something that, that we tend to struggle with, too. Because we, we are all about, like, hierarchy. And we're all about, like, somebody's got to be the boss, and somebody's got to be whatever, and somebody's going to be more important than the other ones and stuff. Now, the relationship among them is complete equality. The Father doesn't think he's awesome just because he's the Father. Jesus doesn't think he's awesome just because he got to go to earth. <laughs> he got to eat fajitas. <laughs> I don't know if he did. Jesus doesn't think he's awesome because you read Revelation and it's going to be like all about Jesus, you know. Um, he's not, you know, like, I guess he's at the right hand of the Father, not you, Spirit. You know, there's none of that. Um, there's none of that going on at all. The Spirit doesn't feel gypped, you know. You know, I feel like he's getting bossed around by the Father and the Son. Now, so relationally, there's, it's complete equality. Now, when it comes to the roles that they play, they play different roles, and those, within those roles, it requires submission and obedience and all that kind of stuff that gets carried out. That doesn't mean hierarchy in the way that we think about it. It doesn't mean first, second place. It means that they each understand the role that they play, and they embrace it. Why? Because they're one. See, distinction among 
them would be a problem if they were not one. But because they are one, they are all on board with the roles that they play. So, there's one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, and each one of those persons is fully and equally God. So what, okay, so what? One of the, the things about like doctrinal stuff is that it tends to be really informative, and we're like, okay, I understand this on paper, but we aren't always taught or whatever how that impacts daily life, what that has to do with me today. And that's one thing, like you look at, at emerging generations, and that's one thing that they really want out of their uh, time together in churches and uh, worship services in small groups or whatever. Like nobody wants to sit around and just talk about information and leave. Like er, people want to know how does this apply? How does it change me? How does it fit into where I am? And so while I, I hope that we're informed in the next three weeks, I, it, it can't just stop there because you can just buy a book for that. You can buy better books than what you heard tonight. Here's, here's where I want us to zero in, and it's why I feel God wants for us to kind of hone in on tonight. One God eternally exists in three distinct persons, and each person is fully and equally God. There's unity, and there's distinction. That's, that's the takeaway. Now, it's, it's hard, I think, for us to really, like, to really grasp that, because at first, like, if you think about it too much, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, the chicken or the egg question, you know, like, you just keep working your way backwards, you know, and it just, you never seem to get anywhere. She's like, got oh, the Trinity, whatever, you know, and if, you know, I grew up in church singing, you know, what is arguably the, the best hymn ever written, holy, 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 and it talks about God in three persons, blessed Trinity, and man, I would sing it and believe it. And not have a clue what kind of difference it made. So we can't just accept things that are thrown at us. Because that's not how God works. Unity and distinction, what does it have to do with this? Um, the very, very first day of the 30 days of prayer this year, we read Andrew Murray's um, the, the True Vine. The opening sentence said this. It said, all earthly things are shadows of heavenly realities. All earthly things are shadows of heavenly realities. We may struggle to understand how the Trinity can be unified and yet distinct at the same time, but there are things that exist on the earth that we see these principles of unity and distinction played out. Um, if you have ever eaten gumbo, bless your heart and bless you for sneezing. Gumbo, I think, is one of, one of the best creations that God ever came up with. And I love the fact that you just can't get it. You, you can't get it just anywhere. And, um, and, and so, so on a day like yesterday, especially overcast, windy, you know, whatever, big old pot of chicken and andouille gumbo. Mm. And here's the thing. You, you, you sit there with that bowl, and like that bowl is a picture of unity, isn't it? It is. But what's crazy about it is if you've ever made gumbo, 
pretty much the whole way through, you're convinced you did something wrong. Because you know you boil the chicken, and you're just like, that, that doesn't look like gumbo or whatever. And, and you throw in the onions and bell peppers and all that kind of stuff, and you're like, just, they're all floating and they're all white, and it just looks like really bad soup. You get your sausage in there and stuff or, or whatever. Um, the, the kicker, like what, what's, the, what's the kicker? What's the key ingredient? The roux. You get that roux going and you start making your roux and you're like, I'm pretty sure I burn it and my whole house is going to stink for like three weeks. And you're like, there's no way that this whatever in this skillet is going to make that gumbo taste phenomenal. But you put it in there anyway, right? And you let it cook and you give it time. And then they're like, you keep checking it, you keep checking it, and it looks terrible, looks terrible, looks terrible. And then there's that magical time you lift up the lid and you're like, that's gumbo. Right there. See, there's, there's distinction, but yeah, there's unity. So th- that is um, maybe not the best uh, <laughs> earthly thing that is a shadow of a heavenly reality. But, but we, we understand unity and distinction coexisting better than we realize. If you... Um, if you, like, you take, take the, the band that plays up here, um, you can, uh, there, there's a, this program, comes out of the, the soundboard into this computer program, and you can isolate each one. And so, um, basically what you can do is you can go back, and if you want to just hear uh, Chase play acoustic, you can, like, mute all the other ones, you can just hear Chase's acoustic line or whatever. Now, um, all these musicians are like, they're very good musicians, especially the bass player. Uh, not tonight, but next week. Um, and, uh, but, but the thing is, like, you probably would not want to come and hear just one person play. It's the combining of all the different things that come together, and all of a sudden, there's this unity of sound that happens so it's the distinction of each player happens in unity. You would never, ever, ever want to hear an oboe by itself. Like, there's probably four people on the planet who you would want to hear play the oboe by themselves. When you go hear the LSU Wind Ensemble, that oboist makes it. See, we understand unity and distinction. Take a married couple. They are, they're one. Two have become one flesh, but there's a distinction there. You take our, this church body, all the people that make up our church, all kinds of distinction. Personalities, backgrounds, ages, accents, interests, personalities. Did I say that already? Uh, desires, um, what they do for a living, um, strengths, weaknesses, issues. I mean, you name it. This is, is a diverse room. But there's unity. So unity and distinction, there are um, earthly things that are shadows of this. Now, okay, so take all that, push it together. Here's the, here's the takeaway for tonight, I think. Within the Trinity, there exists perfect love. The Bible says that the Father loves the Son. We just read, after his baptism, the Father said that he was pleased with the Son. And the Son loves the Father. And there is complete and perfect love 
and there is harmony, and there is community within the Trinity, which means this. That's why, that's why we can boil it all down to say that God is love. It's because God is Trinity. It's because God within himself is a community. He is a relationship within his very being. See, some believe that God created us because he needed someone to love, because he, he, he needed an, an object to shower his love on. And people who teach that don't understand the Trinity. God does not need you. He does not need me. He does not need humanity. He did not need to create a world and that was going to break, and he didn't, he didn't need that. He wanted that, but he didn't need it. Within God exists perfect love and perfect community. God is a community. And, and, and here's where, where it fits in with you and me. And listen in real close. When God says, love one another, it's because it's a reflection of who he is, his very essence. Every one another in, in Scripture about love one another, take care of one another, pray for one another, bear each other's burdens, serve one another, all, all that stuff, it's because it's a reflection, not of what God wants us to do, it's a ref, literal reflection of who he is at his core. How beautiful is that? That's why when, when we start to, when we do that, when we put this into practice, when I love you and you love me and we serve one another and we care for each other and when we do that, you know why, why it goes so well? Why there's just something about it and you just can't explain it? It goes so well because in those times we are reflecting who he is. And the reason why when we don't do that stuff, why the wheels come off, is because we're acting in a way that's contrary to who God is in his very essence. If you've ever been a part of painful experiences within the body of Christ, like many of you were at Parkview, let's just be honest, difficult, difficult days. We were, we, our church was born out of pretty much the darkest stuff I've, I've ever seen or heard of. You know why the wheels came off? Because the, because, because I'll say we as a church at that time were acting in a way that's contrary to the very essence of God. That's why things fell apart. We can talk about obedience in there. We can talk about, you know, all this kind of stuff. But the bottom line, the main issue is the fact that God says, be like me. And when we're like him, it's awesome. And when we're not like him, it shows. And so if we really, really want to be the kind of church that we claim to want to be and that we're working toward and that we're praying toward and that we're just constantly um, just like begging God to make us into, it's going to be a church that is like him all the way down to his very essence. Because God is love. God is community. God is harmony. God is trinity. 
And that's what makes him completely different than anything else we could possibly wrap our minds around. And so when God says, love one another, what he's really saying is, by me at work in your lives, I'm going to make you like me. And that is incredible. And so when we sing and when we pray and all this kind of stuff, this is, this is who we pray to. Not a mean old man on a throne. Not someone who's constantly disappointed in you. I could go on and on about things that he's not. Let's just worry about what he is. He's unified. There's distinction. But within that, there's perfect love. Let's pray together. Father, I mean, you know that we struggle to really grasp who you are. And, um, and we know that some of that's on purpose. And you say that there are mysteries and there are things that belong only to you. But God, we know that um, we know that you are real and you are alive, and we want to affirm uh, these truths of the scriptures tonight. God, that you are the one and only, and there's none beside you. Within yourself, you are unified, yet there are distinctions. We love the unity of your attributes and just your very essence, God, and the distinctions between the different ways that you work within yourself and then you work in our lives. It's beautiful, and we're just amazed constantly. God, I pray as we close tonight that we can just respond to you. God, maybe not even because of the understanding we have. Maybe it's the understanding that we don't have. God, that even though, whether it's a bowl of gumbo or we look at a a church or whatever, God, that the shadows that we know pale in comparison to the reality and the relationship that exists within you. So God, we want to reflect you accurately. We want to be like you. God, help us as we... um, We know the starting point for that is to see you for all that you are worth and to see you for who you are as revealed in nature and in scripture and in our lives. God, you are awesome and we love you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We're just going to sing a little bit and we're just going to just respond to who God is tonight and uh, just feel the freedom that comes when we uh, we just sing to him.